0: And I like 1 Peter so good, we're just going to continue right on through 2 Peter. And uh, there's more great truth that we're going to get a hold of. uh, I can promise you that. And uh, I'm excited to see what the Lord has for us. Now, one of the things that really excites me and intrigues me about studying the book of 2 Peter is its author. If there's one person that I look up to that I admire, that I enjoy studying about, it's the Apostle Peter. Um, I can relate to Peter in a lot of ways. Peter was just a regular guy, a regular, ordinary, working-class, blue-collar guy um, that the Lord did something fantastic in his life, radically changed him in a powerful way. Uh, Peter didn't have, didn't go to the the best seminaries. He didn't have a doctorate in theology, none of that. He just, uh, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Please don't misunderstand me. All of that's good stuff, too. I I think that we ought to... um, get as much education as we possibly can get when it comes uh, to, to doing the work of the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but that don't have to be the case. I want you to know that whoever you are, wherever you are, God can and will use you if you allow Him to do so. If you relinquish your will to His will, God can work on you, work in you, and work through you. And the, the life of the Apostle Peter, man, is, is living proof of that. I want you to think about all the things that happened in Peter's life um, because of his relationship to Christ. If you remember in Luke chapter 5, we studied this Sunday morning. Luke chapter 5, Peter was called by the Lord Jesus to be a disciple. Um, Jesus said that he was once a fisherman of fish a fisher of fish, but he was going to be a fisher of men. So really what Jesus was saying is, Peter, I'm about to do something in your life that only I can do. I'm going to change your purpose. I'm going to change your plan. And that's exactly what he did, and the Lord used him in a fantastic way. He took an ordinary man and did an extraordinary thing with him. And folks, all of us as ordinary people, God can take us and do extraordinary things in our lives if we'll only relinquish our will to him, if we'll only trust the Lord just as Peter trusted the Lord. And and so we see some great things that happen in the life of Peter. Uh, The Lord called him in Luke chapter 5 and then in in Matthew chapter number 7, you remember the story of how Peter with Jesus Walked on water. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. The only other man in the history of the universe who's ever walked on water besides the Lord Jesus, to my knowledge, is Peter. And so how, how amazing is that? That Peter, in the midst of the storm, because he was willing to trust in the Lord and get out of the boat, uh, he walked on water with the Lord. Man, that's a powerful thing. That's an amazing thing. Again, God took an ordinary man and did an extraordinary thing with him. And then we see in Matthew chapter number 16 when Jesus was sitting there with his disciples and he asked them, who do you say that I am? And that's a question that we all have to answer individually for ourselves. Who do we say Jesus is? And Peter answered the question perfectly. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Isn't that amazing? I'm so thankful for that. Jesus actually said, Peter, blessed are you because flesh and blood didn't give that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And so Peter made that great declaration of faith, Matthew chapter number 16. Jesus said it's upon that truth that he was going to build his church. And man, uh, that's powerful in and of itself, very powerful. Peter also was on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. Do you remember that? Where Elijah and Moses uh, was transfigured before the Lord there. And, And Peter, James, and John was with the Lord Jesus on the mountain when all that was taking place. And so Peter experienced some fantastic things. Because of his relationship with Christ. Peter saw the empty tomb on resurrection morning and it changed his life forever. He was never the same. Peter was there in the upper room if you remember uh, when Jesus came through the wall and stood in the midst of his disciples. Peter was there on the uh, mountain when Jesus ascended back to the Heavenly Father in Acts chapter number 1 to take his rightful place at the right hand of God. Peter saw all of this. Peter was there on the day Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 as a rushing mighty wind and filled all the ones that were there in the house the Bible says that Peter stood up and preached on that day and 3,000 people got saved by the power of God and so listen the Lord did some amazing things in Peter's life you go on and read through the book of Acts you'll see that there was once when Peter was arrested And the Bible says the church started praying for Peter day and night. And as they prayed for Peter, God miraculously, through the work of an angel, delivered Peter from the prison. And that's an amazing story. We see Peter walking on the streets of Jerusalem. And the Bible says he was so full of the Spirit of God that as he was walking through the streets and his shadow passed over those who lay in sick beds, they were being healed. That's an amazing thing that God was doing through this ordinary man. Again, folks, don't miss this. God takes ordinary, regular people and does extraordinary things with them. Now, how many of you know if God can do it for ordinary Peter, he can do it for ordinary Israel? And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. He can do it for all of us, but it takes us walking in faith and beginning to trust the Lord in every situation, trust the Lord with our lives to fulfill his plan in us. And so if he can do it for Peter, he can do it for me and for you. The book of 2 Peter was uh, was Peter's swan song, really. It was the last Uh, act that our last letter he wrote, as far as we know, before he was uh, martyred for his faith. It was written between A.D. 65 and A.D. 68. Now we learned from our study of the book of 1 Peter that in A.D. 64 there was a great fire of Rome and it burned about 60% of the city. Uh, uh, Many historians believe that the emperor Nero himself actually burned the city because he wanted a new city to rule in. Uh, but then he blamed the fire on Christians and because he blamed that fire on Christians, they began to be persecuted all throughout the Roman Empire. So sometime after AD64, um, most people believe that Peter was arrested, imprisoned in Rome, and he wrote the book of first Peter and Second Peter between AD 65 and AD 68. And, and so uh, the book of Peter um, in first in Peter was, um, encourage, encouragement to the saints who were being persecuted all over the Roman Empire. Now, this book that we're going to be studying now, the book of 2 Peter, it, it goes a little bit deeper as far as what we believe and why we believe it. Peter warns us here of the apostasy that's coming. Now, what he was warning of in his day, um, we, we are seeing today. We're seeing it like never before. And so the book of 2 Peter is going to be a great help for us to know how to navigate through the world we live in. So there's three chapters in this book. It's not long at all, but in these three short chapters, man, it's power packed. In chapter number one, Peter deals with the convictions of our faith. When I say the word conviction, what does that mean to you? What do you think that means? If we say we are to stand on our convictions or hold to our convictions, what are we saying? Do I know? On our beliefs? Absolutely. Uh, Your convictions are the the core principles of what you believe. The foundations of the faith. And and what Peter does in chapter 1, he begins to tell us uh, what those convictions are. And and folks, now let, let me say something to you before we go any further with this. Do you know that none of us are going to see things exactly alike? Even when it comes to what we believe concerning Scripture, even though we're all in a Baptist church, we're all not going to see things exactly alike when it comes to our study of what God has said. And there's going to be some things that we can agree to disagree on. Um, I've got brothers and sisters in Christ in all denominations, in non-denominational churches. Again, I, I want you to know I'm much more concerned about the name written on the heart than the name written on the door. But I am where I am because I believe what I believe. Can you say amen? And doctrine is important. We want to know what we believe and why we believe it because the Bible says if we don't know what we believe and why we believe it, we'll be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And so we need to know what God's Word says, what we believe, and why we believe it. That's, that's very, very important. But there are certain things when we're talking about what we believe in Christendom, I'm talking about in the church as a whole, that we can agree to disagree on. But when it comes to those core principles, to those convictions that Peter's going to outline for us in the, in, the, in the first chapter, we can't move on that. And let me give you just a few of those. When it comes to the nature of God, how many of you believe that the Word of God teaches that God is triune in nature? If you believe that, say amen. That we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God who has revealed Himself to us in three separate personalities. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. I don't understand everything I know about that. And the truth is, nobody does. Um, I love what Charles Spurgeon said concerning the Trinity. He said if you try to explain the Trinity, you'd lose your mind. But if you explain it away, you'll lose your soul. And he's right. We believe in the triune nature of God uh, because God's Word teaches it. Because it's outlined for us from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And so that's one of the core principles, the convictions that we have to stand on when it comes to defending the faith. But not only do we believe in the nature of God, and it being triune, but we also believe in who Jesus is according to Scripture. Let me tell you what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that He was God incarnate in the flesh. We believe that He came and was born perfectly so that He might live perfectly, so that He might go and be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We believe He was punished for our sin at the cross so that that sin which separated us from God could be taken away and we could have right relationship with the God who loves us. We believe that not only He died on the cross for our sins, but praise God, how many know He rose again the third day? Listen, folks, He overcame Death, hell, and the grave, and now all who trust in Him can also overcome death, hell, and the grave. We don't just believe that Jesus was the Son of God incarnate in the flesh. We believe He is God today. We believe that He's right now seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father making intercession for us. We believe that He is the Son of God, but He is God the Son. So these are some core principles that we don't move on. Uh, that that we, we, we must stand upon and, and that's what Peter does here in the first chapter of the book of Second Peter. Look what he says there in verse number 3 concerning who Jesus is. He says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby we are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. See, it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that all of these divine and precious promises has been given unto us. Man, that's, a, that's powerful stuff right there. So we believe that um, the, 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 the God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, uh, God the Son, Um, The Holy Trinity, we believe in that. That's one of our core convictions. That's one of our core principles. We believe who Jesus is, what he did for us, but also we believe in who he is today, that he is the Son of God and God the Son. We believe that the Word of God is God's absolute truth. These are core convictions that we don't move on. We can agree to disagree on gray areas that we see in Scripture, because there are some gray areas. But when it comes to us believing that God's Word is His absolute truth, His objective standard for who He is, for who we are, and for how life is supposed to be lived, folks, we don't move on that. And, and let me say something else. We don't apologize for that. I had a lady call me one time, and don't please don't misunderstand me. I never, ever uh, want to be arrogant in my preaching. That that has been true of of, of me before because I'm in this fallen flesh. And I I never want that to be true of me. uh, But but I I always want to be bold enough to say what God's Word says. You know, there's a difference in being arrogant and spiritually bold. The Bible calls us to be spiritually bold to be bold enough to say what God says and stand behind it. And that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we should never be arrogant in that, but we should be spiritually bold. And I I remember one Sunday evening, I'd got i finished preaching that morning, and a lady called me uh, when I got home, and she was really giving me down the road over some things that I'd said. And she said, you know, you're pretty dogmatic in what you believe. And I asked her, I said, what are you referring to? And she told me. And so I asked her, I said, do you have your Bible with you? And she said, I do. I said, well, take your Bible. And we started turning through the word of God over a certain thing that I had said that morning. I said, let me tell you why I'm dogmatic about this. Not because I've said it or I believe it. It, Listen, I I, I believe it because God's word said it. And and I'm dogmatic on it because that's what God has said to us. And I believe the word of God to be our absolute standard. Folks, if we get away from that, then, then we've lost it all. There's going to be no power in our church. There'll be no power in our preaching. There'll be no power in our teaching. There'll be no power to change lives. You know what Jesus says? He said, if you continue on my word, then you'll know the truth. And then the truth will set you free. And so I told that lady that day, I said, ma'am, I am pretty dogmatic on what God's word says. I can't back up on that. If I back up on that, then I cease to be a preacher of the word of God. And so we must stand on for our convictions. And Peter does that. Let, let's look down and just uh, just three or four verses here in First Peter chapter 1, verse number 16. Look what he says. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know what he's saying? We didn't make this stuff up. This is not a storybook um, that we're giving you. This is not a fable. He says, what I'm giving you, I saw with my own two eyes. When I tell you the truth of Jesus, I'm giving you an eyewitness account of who he is and what he did. Isn't that amazing? And this is the word that we have before us. These are eyewitness accounts of who Christ is and what he's done. That's why that's the, the word of God is so powerful. He goes on and says in verse number 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, and there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You remember me telling you while ago about the Mount of Transfiguration, how Peter was there with James and John and Jesus and Elijah and Moses, Elijah representing the prophets, Moses representing the law, and, and, and Peter was there in the, and amongst all of that. And while they were there on the Mount of Transfiguration, if you go back and look, you're going to find that God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Peter heard that with his own ears. And so he writes about it right here. He he says in verse number 17 that the voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Verse 18, and this voice which came from heaven we heard and we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy wherein do you well uh, that we take heed as unto a light that shineth in the dark place. What's he saying? This word of prophecy is the word of God. He said it becomes our light in this dark place. He he is always sharing with us the importance of sticking with the stuff. Sticking with the standard, sticking with the Word of God. You'll see that all throughout the first chapter and on through uh, the book of Second Peter. He goes on and says this, watch. Until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, watch this now, by the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so why do we believe the Word of God to be God's absolute truth? Because, listen to me, the Word of God that we have, even though it was written down by men, was inspired by God the Holy Spirit. Why do we believe that? I'll tell you why I believe it personally. Because I've placed my faith and trust in what God's Word says, and He changed my life. He gave me peace that I never knew. Purpose in a life where I had no purpose. He's put joy in my soul that has not lived. He changed me when I place my trust in what he has said. The word of God has changed me and is changing me as I apply it unto my life. I see the power in it. I believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Because that's been true for me. And so I've got to stick with the stuff. Peter tells us to stick with the stuff. God's word is his absolute truth, his objective standard. And we've got to stand on that. Let me tell you why, folks, because it's being attacked today more than ever before. And if we're going to be a light in a very dark place, it has to be because we hold up the Word of God in our preaching, in our teaching, We worship Him with our lips and we worship Him with our lives. We live out what God's Word says. If God's Word says it's wrong, it's still wrong. Now, it may not be popular to say that. It's not going to be popular to say that. But I'm going to tell you something. If we're going to be a people God's pleased with, we must stand for and stand on his truth. I believe that we are entering into a season in this country where we're going to have to make a decision whether to stand for what God says as the church or We're going to go the way of the world. We're going to have to make that choice or we're going to suffer consequences that we've never suffered before. If you don't believe me, do just a little bit of research on what the um, House of Representatives voted on just this past week. Check out the House bill that was voted on real late at night this last week and you're going to see what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, we've got to make a decision as God's people where we stand. As you pastor, according to what Peter says, having been inspired by the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you tonight, we're going to stand for God's truth. It may cost us in a lot of ways, but we're going to stand for the truth of the Word of God. These are convictions that we don't waver on. We stand on the conviction that, on the core principle that we are saved by grace through faith. Can you say amen to that? (laughs) It's not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. It's not because of who we are that we can be born again or what we've done that we can be born again. We are trusting in who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf. Not trusting in our righteousness, but His righteousness. This is the gospel we preach. There's many other things that we're going to talk about as we go through the first chapter, but chapter number one uh, speaks of the, con- the convictions of our faith. Chapter number two deals with the contention for our faith. What do I mean when I say contention? To contend for the faith means that uh, we fight for the faith. <laughs> and we realize that um, our uh, fight that, that that we're involved in um, the weapons we have are not fleshly, not carnal they're spiritual and the Bible says they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds those weapons are prayer those weapons are the truth of the word of God and so uh If we're going to contend for the faith, we're going to use those weapons wisely. And why do we contend for the faith? Well, well, Peter tells us in chapter 2. In the first three three verses, man, he really lays out in chapter 2 why they were to contend for the faith in that day and certainly why we are to in the day we live in. He says in verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnation, and damn, damnable, I can't even speak, damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, uh, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So, what's he saying? There's going to be false teachers in the church. Saying wrong things. Now let me ask you something, Mount Zion Baptist. How are we going to know when a false teacher arises? How is that even possible? Standard of scripture. How are we going to know the standard of scripture? Absolutely. So how important is it for you to take time to spend time in God's word daily? How important is it for you to be in the, under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God? How important is your Sunday school class? How important is the services like we're having right here tonight? How important is it that you keep your children under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God? Let me tell you what's happening right now. It blessed my soul a while ago to see that. Man, we had a house full of kids. Did y'all see all them? There's kids everywhere in here you know how blessed we are? I hope, I hope you do because I can promise you, I talk to pastors all the time and that's not true everywhere. I'm not saying we're any better than anybody else. That's not what I mean. I'm just saying we're blessed. But with that great blessing comes great responsibility. Where does the responsibility lie? Mom and dad, that lies with you first. Amen. It lies with me as a parent to teach them in our home what it means to follow Jesus. But let me tell you one of the greatest ways you can teach them what it means to follow, keep them plugged into church. Keep them in Sunday school. Keep them in Wednesday night Bible study. Right now, downstairs, they're in the word of God. My little girl memorizes a a verse weekly for her Sunday school class. You know how she's eight years old. And man, she knows scripture, I'm telling you. We were sitting in the living room the other day, and she was just quoting to me scripture, and I said, praise Jesus. I'm thankful we've got teachers who are willing to take the time to teach our children the word of God. Why is that so important? Because folks, they spend three hours a week max in class, in church, learning the word of God. whether it's Sunday school or a Wednesday night Bible study or Sunday nights doing small groups or whatever we're doing, usually about three hours a week max, they're going to be under the teaching of the Word of God in a classroom setting, whatever that looks like. How many hours do they spend at school? How many hours do they spend on the Internet? A lot more than three. So, if we can get them under the teaching of the Word of God three hours a week, that's a powerful thing. That's needed. And so, the least we can do as parents is make sure they stay plugged in to the things of God. Now, again, that's not the, that's not the ceiling, that's the floor. There's other things that should be going on in your home, and we can talk about that, and we will talk about it as we go through this. I'm just saying, though, they need to be under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, under the, uh, the anointing of the Lord, and that's what happens when God's people come together uh, collectively to worship. They need that. We need that. Why? Man, there's so many heretical doctrines that Peter... Uh, speaks of right here in these first three verses heresies that are being told all over mainline Christianity today so we need to know how to call out false teachers we'll never know something's false until we know what's true so we study the word of God we get on to the preaching and teaching of the word of God and then in 1 Peter chapter number 2 verses 3 through 9 I'm telling you this brother just he just calls out false teachers You know what I believe? I believe we ought to do the same thing. If someone is going completely against Scripture, we always speak the truth in love, but we need to speak the truth. It's important that we call a spade a spade. You say, oh, brother Israel, you don't want to be too harsh. Read what Jesus said. My goodness. I've never heard any more hard preaching than what Jesus preached. Now, we've got to be very careful with that, I know, because Jesus knew the hearts and minds of all men, and we don't. But I'm just saying, when we hold up the standard of Scripture and we know what God has said, we know the truth, we'll know what's false, and we shouldn't be afraid to call out what is false. Peter did that. Peter did that. And we'll see that as we look through it. He uses some very, very strong words, but he's doing it because he's addressing a serious problem. Do y'all think we got some serious problems in our world today? Let me tell you how serious the problem we got. I I watched just a little bit, much as I could stomach of the um, debate last night. Did anybody watch any any of it? So I'm sitting there watching it. And... um, the guy that's the, the mayor in Indiana, Pete Budicic is that the way he says his name? When they announced him, or excuse me, when they were asking him a question, they were asking him a question. Um, I believe it was on insurance for his family. Family coverage insurance. This is how they posed the question. How... Do you think you and your husband should be covered with the insurance provided in the, uh, what's the, what's the uh, Obamacare? It's called something, though. Affordable, Affordable Care Act. How do you think you and your hut? I want you to think about that just a minute. Here we have a presidential candidate running for president of the United States. And when they address the man that's running for president for the United States, they talk about him and his husband, how they should be covered under their family insurance. That's where we've got to in this country. I never thought I would see that. See, not only are we saying it's okay, but we're we're putting these people up on a pedestal. He's running for president. And got a lot of support. Folks. It may not be popular. What I'm fixing to say. But right is still right. Wrong is still wrong. The Bible says plainly. Man is created for woman. And woman for the man. And God has not changed his mind on this. So we live in a very dark day, in a very dark place, with some serious problems. And we need some strong truth from the Word of God. We'll see, I'm telling you, man, this book of 2 Peter, um, when the Bible says that it's quick and powerful, that it's alive and and powerful, and gives us what we need, when we need it. In Hebrews 4 and 12, it's right, that's right, that's truth. Because 1 Peter, or excuse me, 2 Peter is what we need for the day we live. I'm telling you, it just blesses my soul. So chapter number 1, the convictions of our faith. Chapter number 2, the contention for our faith. And then chapter number 3 talks about the consummation of our faith. And what was going on in chapter number 3, you'll see this when we get there. But he talks a whole lot about... Um, these scoffers who had come into the church and didn't believe that Jesus would fulfill his promise in coming back to receive his church unto himself. They they didn't think Jesus was coming back. He had had waited too long. And so Peter deals with that in chapter number three. I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. What Jesus says you can count on. What God's word says you can count on. And uh, Peter makes that clear in chapter number three. So That's what we got to look forward to as we study through this. And I'm excited about what the Lord has for us. Hope and pray that you are too. Pray for me as your pastor. Pray for one another that um, we would all be what God would have us be. Does anybody got any comments or questions before we close this evening? Any prayer requests tonight?